With the second lesson, we continue our Advent reading of the Gospel of Matthew. Today, the third chapter, familiar verses about John the Baptist in Matthew, the third chapter, beginning at the first verse. And I will read through verse 13. I will add verse 13 to the 1 to 12 printed. Hear the word of the Lord. In those days, John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness of Judea, proclaiming, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. This is, this is the one of whom the prophet Isaiah spoke when he said the voice of one crying out in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Now, John wore clothing of camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist, and his food was locusts and wild honey. Then the couple of Jerusalem, then the people of Jerusalem and all Judea were going out to him and all the region along the Jordan, and they were baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. But when John saw many Pharisees and Sadducees coming for baptism, he said to them, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruit worthy of repentance. Do not presume to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our ancestor. For I tell you, God is able to, from these stones to raise up children to Abraham. And even now the axe is lying at the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. I baptize you with water for repentance, but one who is more powerful than I is coming after me. I'm not worthy to carry his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor and will gather his wheat into the granary, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. Then Jesus came from Galilee to John at the Jordan to be baptized by him. This is the word of the Lord. If Advent was a family reunion, John the Baptist would be something like that loud, rather quirky, and eccentric relative whose voice comes bellowing down the hall announcing their own arrival. The volume alone cuts through the polite greetings and the ritualized catching up on the routines of life. Most years in Advent, the cry of the Baptist can be heard cutting through the ritualized preparations of our worship life. Prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Preparations like lighting candles on the wreath and singing a familiar Advent hymn, interrupted by John's shout, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come, bear fruit worthy of repentance. John, the, the fiery preacher, disturbing the beauty of the season and leaving others longing for a night when all is calm and all is bright. John the Baptist and his message. It's nowhere close to do not be afraid. John the Baptist, that relative that leaves you asking yourself if you are really going to go back next year. In the Gospel of Mark, 
John the Baptist is something like that fancy gold gilded calligraphy like capital letter at the beginning of a chapter in an old rare book. Mark's gospel begins with the Baptist. In Luke, John the Baptist shows up after the Christmas pageant is over. And with a historic reference to the 15th year of the reign of Emperor Tiberius in Luke, John's proclamation announces the beginning of the public ministry of Jesus. In the prologue to the Gospel of John, the Baptist is something of a philosophical instrument, a directional tool. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came to witness to the light so that all might believe through him. He himself was not the light, but he came to testify to the light. Here in the Gospel text for today from Matthew, John makes his appearance in those days. In those days, John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness of Judea, proclaiming, repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. Those days. Most would assume those days that Matthew was simply referring to the early days of Jesus' ministry. Others would offer a kind of macrocosmic perspective those days would be a reference to the first days of a new kingdom era, era ushered in by the Messiah, the Son of God, God born of Mary's womb. Those days. In the, first, in the paragraphs of the first few chapters of Matthew, John arrives long after the birth of Jesus. John's voice is heard after the Magi have come from the east. Mary and Joseph have taken the child with them in their flight to find sanctuary in Egypt. King Herod, threatened by the word of the birth of a child who would be king, ordered the killing of all the children in and around Bethlehem who were two years old. And Matthew writes of the, voices, the voice of Ramah and tells of Rachel weeping. And only after the death of Herod, the Holy Family then returns to settle in Nazareth. All of that happens before John the Baptist. And in the plot of Matthew's gospel, it is those days that John comes preaching about preparation, repentance, bearing fruit, and the dangers of presumption, birthright, and family coattails when it comes to a relationship with God. In those days, when the birth of Jesus seems less about heavenly choirs rejoicing and more about God's promise, God's faithfulness, and God's fulfillment. In those days, when the wise and worldly search for meaning and the powerful are threatened by the hope of a messianic kingdom where the hungry are fed, the poor are lifted up and the oppressed are set free. In those days, where the, when the journeys of life take the faithful to places unknown and the lament is of biblical proportion. In those days when, when the earthly songs of heartache seem louder than the heavenly songs of praise and fear, warnings, and disconcerting dreams motivate the people of God. In those days when the divine angels with the fluttering words do not be afraid or just a little harder to find, in those days came John the Baptist. In those days. In these days. One of my professors at Princeton Seminary, now long retired, 
told me a long time ago of a Christmas Eve, even longer ago than that, when the professor was a pastor serving a congregation. The pastor slash future professor had become overly frustrated with all of the shadow cele shallow celebrations of Christmas, the hallmarkness of it all. So the pastor rose to preach on Christmas Eve on the Gospel of Matthew and what the tradition labels Herod's slaughter of the innocents. The sermon addressed Matthew's truthful edge, a certain other side of the story rarely told, and the light that illumines the gut-wrenching darkness in the world. And the professor described to me the look on people's faces as they left the sanctuary that Christmas Eve. They were supposed so speechless they couldn't even get out Merry Christmas at the church door. I remember thinking back then that my professor's decision about what to preach on Christmas Eve might have been a strong indication of the wisdom of a decision to teach full time. <laughs> Those church members will never forget that particular Christmas Eve in a little Presbyterian church somewhere some years ago when the preacher stood up to proclaim the truthful edge of John the Baptist, that amid the darkness of those days, the light of the Christ child shines even brighter. For John stands in the midst of those days, the midst of these days, and points to the one who will baptize with Holy Spirit and with fire, the one whose winnowing fork bends toward righteousness and justice, John appeared in the wilderness only to point to the Messiah. His voice booms among us to call us to an encounter with the Savior, who is Christ the Lord, the one who is more powerful than John, the one who is surely coming. We are not worthy to carry his sandals, but he empowers us to be his people. By his love, we know ourselves to be his friends. By God's grace, we are molded in his body for the world. And by that same spirit, you and I bear witness to his light, a light that shines all the brighter when the darkness seems darker. And the most remarkable, the most mysterious, the most wonderful, the most wondrous part of this gospel account of John the Baptist in Matthew comes at the very end of what I read to you this morning, the verse I added from Matthew. Jesus came from Galilee to John at the Jordan to be baptized by him. It wasn't just John who came preaching in those days. In those days, Jesus came to John to be baptized by him. Jesus came to John, to that itinerant preacher shouting for repentance. Jesus came to the voice crying in the wilderness, the one proclaiming, prepare the way of the Lord. Just like the Pharisees and Sadducees coming for baptism, Jesus came to John to be baptized. Jesus, the one who is more powerful, the one who will baptize with the Holy Spirit in fire, Jesus came to John. Jesus, the one who was, according to Scripture, tempted in every way, yet without sin, the one who is fully God and fully human, Jesus comes to John to be baptized in those days. The Messiah, the Savior of the world, the one who will save his people from their sin, came to John at the Jordan to be baptized by him. 
Howard Thurman was an African-American theologian who was born in 1899, died in 1981. And through his work, his writing, his leadership, Thurman was a mentor and an inspiration to a generation of civil rights leaders in the mid-20th century. His work continues to inspire. In his work, Thurman often wrote about the humanity of Jesus, that he came from humble beginnings, was poor, and had no privilege. Even, and especially in the birth of Jesus, in the birth of the baby Jesus, John was, Thurman was drawn to the humanity of it all. In his work, The Mood of Christmas, Thurman writes, the important thing is that to the mother of Jesus, he was a baby boy who grew hungry, who had to be fed, bathed, nurtured, who had to be given tender, loving care, one who pulled at her heartstrings and who became so much a part of her sense of worth and meaning that she was sure, in a sense, that this was the first baby in the world. Of course, Luke tells us Mary pondered and treasured all that had been told of her about this child, but yes, to the mother of Jesus, he was her baby boy. It's the only way to wrap your head around Jesus coming to John, to be baptized at the Jordan. That was Mary's baby boy coming to be baptized. Mary's baby boy was bringing all of his humanity, bringing all of his humanity in those days, all of his humanity and ours to the river to be baptized for repentance and the forgiveness of sins. As Thurman puts it, stripped bare of art forms and liturgy, the literal substance of the story remains. Jesus Christ was born in a stable he was born of humble parentage in surroundings that are a common lot of those who earn their living by the sweat of their brow. When a person beholds Jesus, one sees in him the possibilities of life even for the humblest and a dramatic resolution of the very meaning of God. When a person beholds Jesus, one sees in him the possibilities of life even for the humblest and a dramatic resolution of the very meaning of God. There at the Jordan River, amid the gathering gloom of the world's darkness, Jesus presents his extraordinarily ordinary humanness to be baptized. Jesus in his being, in his person there at the river, offering only a glimpse, but an incredible one, of the very meaning of God, God taking on our flesh, the incarnation of God's first love in Mary's, God's love first in Mary's arms and then here in the arms of John. It is the sacramental nature of Christmas, Mary's baby boy. God taking what we know to be the extraordinarily ordinary humanness of life and revealing the extraordinary holy grace of God. It is God's soul-sustaining promise of sacramental grace that in and through Jesus Christ, his presence, his light, his love, and his peace, you and I can see glimpses of the meaning of God in the world around us 
in each other, in our own lives. And even more in those days, in these days, it is the promise that the light of the Christ child by the power of the Holy Spirit will shine even brighter. And because of Mary's baby boy, his light, that light, God's light will shine ever bright in and through the likes of you and me. Even so, come, Lord Jesus. Quickly come. The Sacrament of Christmas by Howard Thurman. I make an act of faith toward all mankind where doubts would linger and suspicions brood. I make an act of joy toward all sad hearts where laughter pales and tears abound. I make an act of strength toward feeble things where life grows dim and death draws near. I make an act of trust toward all of life where fears preside and distrusts keep watch. I make an act of love toward friend and foe, where trust is weak and hate burns bright. I make a deed to God of all of my days and look out on life with quiet eyes. <laughs>